this evening, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, where we are tonight. Preacher once again uh, makes us think about, uh, about what he's saying. Slow down and uh, look at his, uh, his argument, his discussion. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 23 is where we start. But before we do, I know there are prayer needs, prayer concerns. Um, a couple weeks ago, I mentioned Curtis. All right, so Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 23 is where we start tonight. And we look at the preacher's search for wisdom. He has presented us with many questions, many conundrums. Uh, he makes us think about the things that we observe in the world around us and uh, uh, this fallen world in which we live, all the different puzzles and uh, uh, questions that we have as we look and we see the righteous perish in their righteousness and the wicked prolong their days in wickedness. We see the danger of being overly righteous, overly wise, and we just have these, these questions and these conundrums that we, that we face. And, uh, uh, and so here uh, the preacher has just told us that uh, while it's, there's a danger of being overly wise and pursuing wisdom for the wrong purpose, uh, wisdom can provide strength and can provide uh, strength to the wise more than ten rulers of a, of a city uh, and, uh, and strength in the day of temptation and strength even to face criticism from folks. And, uh, and so now the, uh, the preacher decides he is going to set out on a quest. He is going to set out on a search for wisdom. So Ecclesiastes 7.23, All this I have proved by wisdom. I said, I will be wise. But it was far from me. As far that which is, as for that which is far off and exceedingly deep, who can find out? I applied my heart to know, to search and seek out wisdom and reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, even of the foolishness and madness. And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped by her. Here's what I have said, I have found, says the preacher, adding one thing to the other to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all those I have not found. Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. And so, with all the puzzles and questions that the preacher has come up with through his observation of, of life in this world, life in this fallen world, and uh, uh, the things that he observed among the righteous and the wicked and the questions and problems that that brings to him, uh, he has decided that he will... Uh, go on a quest, and he will make a search for wisdom. And so he says, I will grow. He, he said to himself, I will be wise. Uh, he desires to grow in wisdom. He desires to, to, to find wisdom and use it to unfold the mysteries of the universe and to answer the unanswerable questions that have come from his observations. And uh, he's watched people around him. He's tried to find answers to uh, uh, to the many things that have uh, 
come to him. Verse 23 says, I have proved this by wisdom. He has put things to the test through his wisdom and understanding and come up with more questions than he comes, than he finds answers. Um, so far, really, the only answer he's come up with is vanity of vanities, meaningless, chasing after the wind. Uh, and so he is not satisfied with that. He's not content with that. And so he wants to go on a search for wisdom. Um, he, uh, uh, learning by experience and observation is not sufficient. And so he, he wants to, uh, uh, to find wisdom. And, uh, and so he says, I will be wise. And then verse 23, what is the, uh, what is the result of his search? It's far from me. So I'm, I, I, I determined to be wise. And I went on this search for wisdom, and I found out that wisdom was far from me. True wisdom remained out of his reach. When he sought to know the, know the, secret, the secret things of God, when he sought to know the grand schemes of the universe, uh, when he sought to understand how God governs his creation and providence, he found out that deeper wisdom was beyond his grasp. He had mastered some of the practical rules of life, but absolute wisdom was beyond his grasp. The answer to the deeper questions was something he could not find out. And so he says, it was far from me. As for that which is far and exceedingly deep, who can find it out? And he recognized that man's uh, cap capability, man's capacity for wisdom is is limited and he gives us two reasons that it's limited first that it is it is far away wisdom was far from me and as for that which is far off and exceedingly deep who can find it out and so uh, uh, the secret things belong to God Deuteronomy 29 the secret things belong to God you know God has revealed certain things to us and the things that he's revealed to us are for us and our children uh, forever, but uh, there are secret things that belong to God and things that are beyond our reach, beyond our capability. No matter how hard we search, there are questions that we cannot answer. There are secret things. The secret things belong to God, and God is unchanging, uh, and, and He purposed and, uh, and uh, He purposed and made a plan before the foundation of the earth and eternity passed before creation. Uh, God, God purposed and God, God planned and God designed uh, the universe. And for us to, to discover those things that are far away from us, you know, we would have had to have been pleasant in the, present in the dwelling place of God before uh, the world began to see how the elements that make up all of our experiences uh, work together in the mind of God. They're, they're far from us. Things that God purposed and designed and uh, in eternity past and things that God works in providence we are uh, outside of that of the courtroom of, of, of heaven and the dwelling place of God where those decisions are made they are far from us but he also says that even if we were there even if we had been there even if we'd been in the heavenly court before the foundation of the earth even if we were in the heavenly court now those things would still be exceedingly deep to us and so the second reason the first reason things wisdom is unattainable is because it's far from us and the other reason is it's exceedingly deep uh, even if we've been present before the foundation of the earth we still would not understand it all we are finite we are limited 
We are finite and God is infinite. We are limited and God is unlimited. There are things about the universe, things about the mind of God, things about God's providence and God's purpose and God's design that are exceedingly deep, that are beyond our understanding, that are utterly mysterious, that are outside of the reach of our human minds. And we are clueless about many aspects of the infinite greatness of God and his providence and his working in creation. And so the, the, the preacher says, I, I went on a search for wisdom. I, I determined that I would be wise, but I found out that those things were far off from me and were exceedingly deep. And the prophet Isaiah says it this way, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so, uh, so he, he searched for wisdom, and he found out that it was far off and exceedingly deep. And he asked himself, who can find it out? It's beyond our grasp, beyond our capability. But even concluding that, uh, he does not give up the striving. He does not give up the search for wisdom. In verse 25, I applied my heart to know to search and seek out wisdom and the reason of things. And so he, he determines himself. He recognizes that total wisdom is beyond his grasp, but he would apply his heart to know, to search, to seek out wisdom. He would not just sit back and say, well, I can't know everything, so what's the point? Why, why study? Why strive? Why grow? I, I can't know these things, and so I, I'm just not going to try, try to grow in wisdom. That's not what he does. He says, well, I know I... Uh, there are certain things I'll never know, but there are things that I can know, and an approximation of the goal is better than to not have strived at all. It's better to, uh, uh, you know, to, 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 to grow as much as I can instead of saying, well, I can't get all the way, so I'm not going to try at all. And so he sets his heart, and notice, notice the words. I, I applied my heart to search and seek out wisdom. These words describe a diligent, careful search. And so he is going to, to, to try to know, to search, to seek, um, and, and, and work hard at learning from, from every angle. He stacks these words together to show the effort that he will apply to his search. He will be diligent, and he will make every effort to try to, to, to grow in his knowledge. And he wants to know a few things. He says, I want to know, uh, I want to search and, and seek out the wisdom and, and the reason of things. I want to know the, uh, the, the reason of things, why things are the way they are, why things happen the way that they do. I want to, I want to seek out the, the reasons of things, the pattern, the principles that uh, uh, govern the universe, that result in the outcomes that we see. Uh, the, and then he also said, I want to, uh, to search out and seek uh, to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness of madness. And so uh, the preacher recognizes that all violation of God's law are the result of foolishness. To depart from God's path is uh, to go the way of, of wickedness. It's, it's, it's depart from right reasoning. Uh, wickedness, sinfulness is irrational. It's, it's stupidity. It's foolishness. It's folly. It does not make sense to willfully sin against God. It's madness, self-delusion. And he wants to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness of, of madness. And so it is insanity 
irrational, unreasonable, foolish to violate the law of God, our creator. And he wants to understand that. And so I applied my heart to know, to search and seek out wisdom and the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness of madness. And so he's making this quest, this search for wisdom. And uh, uh, in his result, he, he, he finds out a couple things. <laughs> There's a couple of results of his, his search. Number one, he finds out uh, uh, the dangers of temptation. Verse 26, I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets, whose hands are fetters. And so he sees the danger of temptation, the great temptation of wickedness. Wickedness is foolish, it's irrational, it's unreasonable, but the draw, the temptation is powerful. And uh, he said, you know, that doesn't make sense. Um, he sees the temptation of wickedness. And, uh, and he speaks here about, uh, he, he actually personifies wickedness as a seductive woman. Um, and that's a, a, a pattern that he also uses in Proverbs. You know, God had created the man to be the prophet and priest and protector and provider for the woman. God created the man first, uh, gave him the law, uh, and so the, the man had the responsibility to speak God's word to the woman, to be her prophet, to be the priest, to speak to her on behalf of God. God spoke the law before he created the woman. He created the woman, and the man was responsibility to be her prophet and her priest, to be between her and God, to speak to God, uh, to her for God, and to, um, uh, to be her prophet. God also put him in the garden to be her protector and her provider. He gives him two instructions when he puts him in the garden. You are to, to tend and to uh, keep the garden or watch over, guard the garden. The man was to be a protector. He was to, to guard the garden, to, 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 to protect it, to keep danger out of the garden. And so he was to be her provider and her protector. But as we read in Genesis, the man failed to protect his wife. He failed to prevent the serpent from coming in the garden. He did not keep the garden. The serpent came into the garden, and then the man did not. Uh, uh, he failed to protect his wife and prevent her from having a conversation with the serpent uh, that he had allowed into the garden. And the serpent deceived the woman, questioning God's word, questioning God's goodness, questioning God's provision. And the woman came to see the world as the serpent wanted her to see it. She saw that what God had put off limits was good for food, was pleasing to the eye, was desirable for gaining wisdom. And she took of its fruit and ate and also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And as a result, she would not be content for her husband to be her prophet and priest, protector and provider. She would desire to usurp his authority. We read about that in Genesis chapter 3. And then there was Solomon. Uh, way back in October, when we began the book of Ecclesiastes, we talked about the author of, of uh, Ecclesiastes, and he calls himself the preacher. He does in this text, verse 27, the preacher. He calls himself the preacher, but 
Many scholars believe that the preacher is actually Solomon. And we talked about some of the reasons. Uh, uh, the preacher is identified as the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Uh, the wisdom and works attributed to the preacher fit what we know about Solomon. And tradition tells us that Solomon wrote uh, three books of the Bible, or, uh, or most of three books, Song of Solomon when he was a young man, Proverbs in uh, his prime, and then Ecclesiastes when he was a long man, an old man looking back over, uh, over some of his failures. And so uh, internal evidence points to, to the fact that perhaps Solomon is the preacher and tradition tells us that Solomon is the preacher. And we know as we read the historical books that Solomon had started well. He asked God for wisdom. God was pleased that he asked for wisdom. God granted him wisdom, and he was prosperous, and the kingdom thrived under his leadership. Uh, but we know that Solomon also drifted. And uh, as he drifted away, he led the people to drift far away from the, from the Lord. During his early reign, he had a close walk with the Lord, received the gift of wisdom from the Lord. He was responsible for the construction of the first temple. Um, but later in his career, uh, how was his heart turned aside? By his many wives. That's right. For, uh, Second Kings says uh, uh, he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And his wives turned away his heart. For it was when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Second Kings chapter 11. And in Proverbs, Solomon uh, personifies folly as a woman. And so he takes folly, foolishness, and gives it human characteristics, the human characteristics of a seductive woman. Uh, Proverbs chapter 2 uh, he, he portrays folly, foolishness as a seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant with her God. Her house leads to death and her path to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they gain the path of life. And then later in uh, Proverbs chapter 9, he says, She sits at the door of her house on a seat by the highest places of the city, to call to those who pass by, who go straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And as for him who lacks understanding, she says to him, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. And so Solomon has the uh, uh, literary, he uses a metaphor of foolishness as a, seductive woman uh, foolishness is a trap and the preacher uses the metaphor of an immoral woman to represent folly and foolishness just as solomon did in proverbs she sets traps she sets out nets to catch her prey she is a hunter looking to trap and imprison her victims her and her hands are like fetters and so uh uh, the woman whose heart is snares and nets, she's setting traps. Her hands are like fetters. Once she gets you in her trap, she does not let you go. She imprisons you. Uh, 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 her hands wrap around her victims like, uh, like chains. And, uh, and, and she has you in her grasp. 
and this is foolishness and wickedness. And, uh, uh, and the preacher says, you know, there's, he warns us there's great danger into falling into the clutches of worldly philosophy and a secular worldview, a secular, uh, a secular lifestyle. You know, wickedness is like a, like a powerful vacuum cleaner that sucks in everything in its path and, uh, uh, and, and something that is caught has no escape. No escape is, is possible. And, and you see, you know, just uh, one little sip can lead to drunkenness. One uh, pain pill over the prescribed amount can lead to a, a terrible addiction. Going to a pornographic site on the, on the, the website can lead to a destructive uh, pattern, a destructive habit. Visiting the casino one time can be fun, and yet it could lead to a lifestyle of dominating bondage and uh, life-dominating bondage of gambling addiction. You know, even something that is acceptable in our society as pursuing wealth can become life-dominating and an obsession that leads to to destruction. And so, uh, we say it often here. You know, when you sin, you go farther than you wanted to go. You stay longer than you wanted to stay. You pay more than you wanted to pay. Uh, it, it is uh, what what stops starts out simple enough i can control this i've got this under my control uh, once you start down that path it is a trap a snare and fetters and so uh, uh, there's great danger to falling into the clutches of uh, secular lifestyle and disobedience and so uh, he warns against those traps those snares the deceit but Oh, it's not hopeless. You know, we are not just hopeless dust bunnies and the uh, uh, subject to the powerful sucking of the vacuum cleaner. There is hope. Uh, the last part of verse 26. He who pleases God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be trapped to her. All is not hopeless. He who pleases God shall escape. We're not helpless and being sucked in by that old powerful vacuum cleaner. We can uh, Escape the powerful draw, the powerful suction of wickedness. Those who please God can escape. The Lord will give his people grace to resist the seductive charms of the world. And so uh, um, all is not hopeless. The draw is powerful. The temptation is intense. But there is hope. He who pleases God shall escape, but the sinner will be trapped. Be very cautious uh, going down the road to this seductive woman's house, to, uh, to the evil. And so, uh, so on his search, he has found the danger of temptation, the enticement of wickedness, the trap that sin can set for us. And he's found that to be more bitter than death. And, uh, and, and as he's looked, verse 27, here's what I found, says the preacher, adding one thing to another to find out the reason. He has searched for uh, the, 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 the uh, he, he wants to seek the reason of things, to know the wickedness of folly, the foolishness and madness. And he has added all these things together through his observation and his search. And... Uh, uh, He's added this to, together, and uh, he comes to this conclusion. 
adding one thing to the other, verse 27, to find out the reason which my soul still seeks, but I cannot find. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. And so uh, uh, he's found very few that walk in wisdom. He has found that uh, wide is the gate and broad is the path that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it. And he has also found that narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few that find it. Very, very few men seem to find the way of righteousness. Very, very, very few men seem to find the way to life. And even less women, he says. (laughs) One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. And again, think of Solomon's, uh, uh, Solomon's life, the story of his life. A thousand wives, not one of them uh, is living up to what, uh, what, what a woman ought to be. Among his thousand wives, princes, and concubines, not one lives up to that, to that standard. Not one uh, is set free from the, the, the uh, enticement of evil, the enticement of wickedness. And so very, very few find the way of righteousness wide is the gate broad is the way that leads to destruction says the preacher who comes a thousand years later and narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life and a very very few find it that's the conclusion that the preacher makes he has set out to understand why things work the way they do He's found out that he, there's things he can't understand. It's far off. It's exceedingly deep. But one thing he has discovered, that temptation is real. Even though wickedness is foolish, it is madness. It doesn't make sense. It's unreasonable to sin against God. But the enticement, the draw is great. And people do things that will lead to their destruction. And they're entrapped. And they go deeper and they go farther and they spiral deeper and deeper and farther and farther away from God. They get in his trap and they can't be set free. That's what he's seen. That's what he's learned. The righteous will escape the grips of sin, but very, 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 very few find the way to life. And so he asked, and uh, well, you know, and, and the other thing he discovers is whose fault is that? What is the reason? Why is it that so few find the path of life and so many go down the path of wickedness even though it doesn't make sense? Why is that? Whose fault is it? Well, the preacher tells us in verse 29. Truly, this only I have found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. He might not know all that he wants to know. He hasn't discovered all the things that he would like to discover. He doesn't uh, figure out all the things that he would like to figure out. He doesn't solve all the problems. He doesn't answer all the conundrums. But this one thing he knows, that God made man upright. Man 
goes into wickedness, but God made man upright. It's not God's fault that so few find the way of righteousness. It's not God's fault that so few find the way of truth. It's not God's fault that so many fall into the snares and the traps and have those chains of sin wrapped around them. It's not God's fault that people are in bondage and slave to sin. God created man and woman upright, right in his sight. They were good. And when God surveyed his creation, including the crown jewel of his creation, the man and woman that he had created in his own image, God said that is good. In fact, that is very good. God created them good, upright. And so uh, uh, the blame for their failure to live an upright life is not on God. It's on them. God made them upright, but they have sought out many schemes. God created man upright, but he certainly does not live in uprightness now. Remember back in verse 20 of chapter 7, there's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. One in a thousand, verse 28, and not a woman among this a thousand. I haven't, I haven't looked at a thousand women. Not one of them is what a woman ought to be. They constantly are going the way of folly, wickedness, even though God made them upright. They constantly seek out many schemes. They find new and different ways to go against God's plan, to violate God's will, to break his law. They are making up and devising new ways of doing evil. The man and the woman had a scheme to be wise like God. The scheme failed miserably, and instead of becoming wise about good and evil, they acquired the knowledge of, of, of evil and pain and suffering and death by experience. And then they, Genesis chapter 4, we see the, the, the people scheming to find meaning, to control their own destiny by architecture, by build, building cities, by agriculture, by technology, by culture, by art and music. They, they, they tried to discover their, to, to, to direct their own destiny in Genesis chapter 4. And then in Genesis chapter 6, God looks at them and sees that every thought of their heart is only evil all the time and that the, the world is filled with violence and wickedness. And so how does God respond to their scheme? He sends a flood that brings destruction. And then after the flood, God tells them to, to fill the earth. To, fill, to, to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. I want every corner of my earth to be filled with an image bearer of mine for my glory. And yet the people had a scheme to gather together in one plane and build a city with a tower that reached up to heaven. They schemed to build a great big city. And then the Lord came down and confused their language, frustrated their scheme, and accomplished his purpose by scattering them over the earth. One scheme after another. They've sought out many schemes, a way to find meaning, a way to control their own destiny, a way to be their own God, 
a way to do what was right in their own eyes. They devised all of these schemes, one scheme after another. And we, we're not exempt. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has gone our own way. We follow our own schemes. There's not a just man on earth who does good and does not sin. There is none that is righteous, not even one. But God is not to blame for the wickedness of the world. God made man upright, made man in his own image. But we have deliberately devised many schemes. And all of those schemes lead to pain, misery, suffering, and death. But before the foundation of the earth, God made man upright, knowing that they would seek out many schemes, knowing that there would be none, uh, not a just man on the earth who does good and does not sin, but uh, way back before the foundation of the earth, before God created, in what was far off and exceedingly deep, God had a plan. Before he created, he planned uh, to redeem sinful people to himself. He created humans upright, but we've all sinned and, and cut ourselves off from God. But God's plan before the foundation of the earth is that God the Son, the Son of God, would become a man, live a sinless life. Uh, uh, Jesus Christ would be the one in a thousand, the one in a, a million, the one in a gazillion that would do right, that would be righteous, the one that was righteous. And then that one would die on the cross, the righteous for the unrighteous. Yes, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've each turned to our own way. But the Bible tells us that God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And God has shown that that was acceptable in his sight by raising him from the dead. And that we can come to Jesus in repentance and faith, please God, and escape from the snares and the nets and the hands that are like fetters, set free from the penalty and the power of sin when we come to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith and we put our trust in Him. And all the wisdom we need is to admit our need, our helplessness and our hopelessness and to trust in Christ alone for our salvation. And so the preacher, through his observation, many questions, many conundrums, said, I'm going to seek out wisdom. And the more he sought wisdom, the more he realized it was outside of his grasp, far and exceedingly deep. And there's one thing he didn't know, the power of temptation, the foolishness of sin, the unreasonableness of wickedness, the madness of violating God's law, and yet even though it is foolish, it is insanity, it doesn't make any sense, it's unreasonable, very, very, very few find the path of righteousness. But God had a plan before the foundation of the earth to redeem his sinful people to himself uh, by sending Jesus to be righteous to do the righteousness that we cannot do and to make it possible for us to come to God, to be restored to him by God's grace through faith. And so all the wisdom we need is to recognize our 
helplessness and our hopelessness and to put our trust in Jesus and find the way of life and escape from the penalty and the power of sin. Any questions about the preacher's search for wisdom? All right, let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your grace and your kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you for uh, the fact that he is wisdom, the, uh, the ultimate wisdom and the revelation of truth. We thank you that in Jesus you have revealed to us all we need to know. And in your word you reveal to us what we need to know for life and godliness. Lord, we know that there are things, there are secret things that we will never know, we will never understand, we cannot explain. There are mysteries that we cannot solve. There are puzzles we cannot uh, uh, put together. That your wisdom is far above us, exceedingly far, exceedingly deep. But Lord, in Christ Jesus and in your word, you've told us all that we need to know for life and godliness. The things that are revealed belong to us. And you've told us what we need to know, what is pleasing in your sight, and what we need in order to walk by faith, to trust in you. And Lord, we thank you that we can find wisdom when we find Jesus. And that we can be set free from sin's penalty, and from sin's power. And we can do that which is pleasing in your sight. Lord, help us to be wise. Help us to walk in wisdom and walk in truth. And help us to do that which uh, brings you glory and is for our good. And it is in Jesus' name we pray.